Last Thursday morning I received a text from Philip saying, I'm unwell, could you take the service at St John's on Sunday? And I said, well, I'm supposed to be in Coolaroo at 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon and I don't think I can manage both. I've got a thumbs up, okay. And then a little while later I got another one saying, what if I could arrange things so that you only had to preach? And uh, we discussed the matter and thought, yeah, we could do that. Uh, so that's that. And we're very grateful for for Drew and uh, taking the rest of the service. And then Sunday afternoon was postponed three weeks. So here we are. God God moves in mysterious ways. He's wonders to perform. And uh, you're getting my second sermon on on my series of sermons on Jonah this morning. But before we get to that, uh, let's join in prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, we rejoice in your goodness, your mercy, your love, your kindness. And we thank you that in your mercy you have brought us together this morning to, uh, in your providence to think about your servant Jonah. Uh, we pray, our God, that you would grant to us the enlightening and enabling and powerful work of your spirit, that we might not only be hearers of your word, but by your grace we may also be doers. We pray these things in our Saviour's precious name. Amen. Well, some time ago we began uh, a little series in Jonah and uh, even though I don't preach here all that often, it's quite helpful for me as a preacher to have uh, something to sort of go on with. I apologise to those who have heard uh, this before. Uh, Then I was comforted by listening to uh, Alistair Rebegg during the week uh, commenting on the amount people actually remember of what they hear in the sermons. And uh, it's, I think it was after a week, only 5%, they reckon, is uh, about how much people remember of one sermon from week to week, 5%. So it's been a long time. Perhaps you'll have forgotten it completely. But uh, in any case, it's been a long time since I preached on Jonah here. And uh, it'd be good to start with a bit of revision. Uh, we saw that in spite of widespread unbelief in the miracles of the book of Jonah, there's every reason to, uh, to believe this book to be true history. Uh, We find in 2 Kings chapter 14 that Jonah was a real prophet. And secondly, we have the word of Jesus. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 12 and verse 38 that just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, uh, so he would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He also said that the men of Nineveh would rise up at the resurrection and condemn uh, the people that uh, heard him preach and saw his miracles. Uh, For the people of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. And for anyone who professes the Lord Jesus or Jesus as Lord, uh, surely that settles the matter. Uh, If Jesus uh, testifies to the truth of of the miracles of Jonah, uh, then we must believe it. Then we thought about miracles. Uh, We thought, saw that uh, miracles are an essential part of Christian faith. If we reject miracles, uh, then then we must be amongst those who will perish because to be a Christian requires the belief in the great miracle of the resurrection of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, uh, we'll be saved. And uh, so belief in miracles as testified to by scripture is an essential part of being a Christian. On the other hand, we also remember that we need to be wary of claims to the miraculous. 
Not every miracle is a real miracle, uh, sometimes not so. And not every real miracle comes from God. Uh, Jesus warned us as his disciples, Matthew 24 and verse 24, that false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So we need to be cautious about miracles. And thirdly, about the book's purpose. Uh, We saw that the main purpose of this book is, in its original context anyway, was to warn the Jews against confining the grace of God to themselves. The I'm all right, Jack attitude. Uh, God's looking after us, but we don't want anything to, any of that goodness and mercy to spread further. At the heart of this uh, book of Jonah is a quarrel between Jonah and God over whether the grace of God should extend beyond the borders of Israel into Gentile territory. God had promised Abraham that he would uh, bless all nations through him and his descendants. And uh, God was determined that his grace should actually reach to Nineveh. And Jonah was determined that it should not, even to the point of defying God. And uh, for us, uh, this book reminds us that God's mercy, his grace, his salvation is not just for us, uh, they're for outsiders. And we should share in God's compassion for them. And we should want to share the grace that is ours in the Lord Jesus with them, that that they might know that he's the saviour of the world, not just our saviour. And we should be praying that God would give us grace so to do. Jonah is that spiritual anomaly, a person who says, not so, Lord. Peter did, didn't he? He said, not so, Lord. And Jonah did too. Perhaps not uh, so much in words, but in actions. God said, go to Nineveh and preach the word to them. And uh, Jonah said, no way, I'm going somewhere else. The book says, doesn't it? Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. When we read our Bibles, the first thing I think we should ask ourselves is, what does this passage teach us about God? The Bible's a revelation from God about himself and his purposes. This scripture tells us that God holds the nations of the world accountable to himself. Now the Lord is the the name in the Bible that speaks to us of God's covenant with his people Israel. And yet, as Lord, he told Jonah to arise and go to Nineveh and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Each nation has its own gods. Uh, The nations of the ancient world all had their own gods. And yet the Lord was, uh, the Lord is God of all the nations. He, uh, Genesis chapter 18 and verse 25, uh, he's the judge of all the earth. 
And in the context of the book of Jonah, this is essential. For it's because God is Lord of the nations, not just Lord of Israel, but Lord of Assyria, Lord of Nineveh, that he can send Jonah to preach judgment against it. And it's because he's judge of all the earth, the just judge of all the earth, he was able to extend mercy to Nineveh, the Ninevites, when they repented. And we must remember that God is still the God who holds nations accountable for their sins. The, the Lord sending Jonah to Nineveh to prophesy against it reminds us that there is a point where national wickedness becomes so great that God has no choice, says the just judge of all the universe, to intervene in judgment. We should be prayerfully anxious about the increasing wickedness of our own nation. And if we can't make our voice, our protest be heard, if we can't change the direction of our nation in its mad rush to get away from God, to cast off the restraints of his law, that we should be as godly as we can be ourselves. In a day of national declension, we should remember that God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah if there had been ten, ten righteous people in those wicked cities. And we should be encouraged. Friend, never think that your life, the way you live your life, doesn't matter. It does. It may matter far more than you could imagine. And we should be praying that God will restrain evil, that he would grant us a national repentance, a national church repentance to start with, through the preaching of his word and the powerful working of his Holy Spirit. Not only does the fact that the Lord is the God of all the nations remind us that, that, that this is essential to the book in the sense that God must be the Lord of the nations to send Jonah to Nineveh. It also highlights the greatness of Jonah's sin. Instead of obeying this great God who is Lord of all the nations, creator of heaven and earth, Jonah disobeys. It's all too easy for us, I think, I'm sure, to think of sin very lightly. Here people say, yeah, it was only a very little sin. How could God do that for that? They only ate the fruit, the forbidden fruit. Why did God bring such disaster upon the earth for such a small thing? We forget how great God is. And because we've forgotten how great God is, we've forgotten how serious sin is. Jonah ran away from the creator of heaven and earth, his Lord, his God, his Redeemer, and headed for Tarshish. Now we're not sure where Tarshish was, but it certainly wasn't in the direction of Nineveh. In fact, it was probably in the opposite direction. Jonah's intention was to get as far from Nineveh and as he possibly could. It's thought that it was possibly in Spain. Verse 3 says he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. It's sometimes said, and I've heard it said, that a real Christian, a real believer, uh, wouldn't possibly sin deliberately. Uh, 
But Jonah's experience testifies that it, it's possible for a real believer to sin not just unintentionally, not just because of ignorance or weakness, uh, but defiantly, deliberately, with intention. Jonah was a prophet. He knew the Lord personally. He knew what God expected of him and he defied him and went away to Tarshish, down to Joppa, down into the ship and down to sleep. And we should be shocked by this. It should shock us, not just that Jonah could be guilty of such behaviour, but that we might be guilty of such behaviour. Who are we to think that we are better or less likely to fall into sin than he? How could Jonah get into such a spiritual state that he would deliberately defy the Lord? Dare we suppose that we are safe from such sin, such folly? Now we don't know, we can only speculate. Where did Jonah go wrong? Where did his relationship with God and his understanding of God's purposes uh, come so unstuck? Surely if he had been reading his Bible such as he had of it, he certainly had some of it, if he had been reading the scriptures daily and reflecting on on God and God's purposes, uh, seeking the blessing that comes to the man who meditates on the law of God day and night, surely he would know that God had called the Jews not to be a reservoir of God's grace, but to be a channel of God's grace to the nations. Surely he would know that God had called his people, the Jews, to be a blessing to the nations. Surely if he had been spending some time in prayer each day, talking to God, reflecting on God and God's purposes in the world, he would have understood and shared something of God's great heart of love for all the nations even those outside his covenant with Israel. Friend, it may not seem a very serious thing to neglect what we call the means of grace. That is the word of God, the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper and prayer, Christian fellowship, just a little bit, just a little bit. Uh, Perhaps we're weary. We're having an an exhausting week. Uh, It comes... Time to, uh, well, perhaps to read our Bible and uh, pray. And we think, oh, well, I'll do it later, I'll do it tomorrow. Or Sunday morning comes and we think, well, I'm just too tired to go to church. I don't feel well this morning. Uh, Look, I'm going to have a lie in. Or uh, we want to do something or go somewhere or see something and it clashes with church or clashes with Bible study and uh, so it happens that Sunday morning or Wednesday evening or Thursday evening, uh, the place where we usually are in worship or study and fellowship is empty and nothing happens. No lightning bolts from heaven, no sign that God is displeased and yet that's where the downward path to disobedience begins with small neglects, with a a little turning away, a a little step away from fellowship with God and his people. We lose our fervor. We start to go cold. It seems to be a small thing, 
but it can have a big end. We're called, our Lord Jesus calls us to watch and pray that we'll not enter into temptation. It's still sound advice. Would that Jonah had followed it. He didn't. He was out of touch with God and out of touch with God's purposes and so he ran away. And everything went, everything went smoothly. It was as though God's, God was pleased with what he was doing. But when, God, when Jonah was on his way, safely on his way, so it appeared, as though God was prospering his course of disobedience, uh, then the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest so that the ship threatened to break up. We read that the sailors sensed that this was no ordinary storm. Verse 5, then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. And so desperate was the situation that even their passenger must be called upon to pray to his God that they might be saved. Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship. He'd lain down on the bed and he was sound asleep in the midst of the storm. And the captain came. He says to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And then the sailors decided they would cast lots. They wanted to know what was happening. Verse 7, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. How they managed to cast lots in the midst of a storm like this, I don't know. Do you remember watching the Sydney to Hobart yacht race back in 1998 when that great storm wrecked the fleet? Uh, Imagine that this was a storm perhaps even worse than that. How would you cast lots in the midst of such a storm? But these sailors, for all their ignorance in matters religious, uh, they knew that the gods control what are, are to us chance events. And of course we know that the Lord uh, controls what we call chance events, even the rolling of the dice. Proverbs 16 and verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And in this case, the Lord used the casting of lots to identify Jonah as the guilty party. Friends, we must remember uh, that our sins always involve others. Uh, None of us are an island. When we sin, we involve others. Sin has consequences beyond ourselves. It uh, endangered Jonah's sin, endangered the lives of the sailors. It cost them their cargo. And surely it also cost him their respect for him as a prophet. For what sort of a prophet is it that runs away from his God? And our sins may well endanger the lives of others. Well, you say, how come? Well, our sins give unbelievers reason to scoff at our Christian faith and to reject Christ our Saviour and so to perish eternally so that their blood will be upon our heads. A Presbyterian 
missionary leader of a previous generation said this, After 30 years of leadership in Christian work, it's my conclusion and conviction that the greatest missionary problem is just the failure of Christian people to live up to their profession. Sobering words, aren't they? Our sins may also endanger others if they should imitate us. A father wrote these words, a little poem. A careful man I want to be, a little fellow follows me. I do not dare to go astray, for fear he'll go the same, self-same way. I cannot once escape his eyes. Whatever he sees me do, he tries. Like me, he says he's going to be the little fellow who follows me. He thinks that I am good and fine, believes in every word of mine. The base in me he must not see, the little fellow who follows me. I must remember as I go through summer's sun and winter's snow, I am building for the years that be for that little chap who follows me. Friends, we're all being followed by someone. Someone is following you. Someone's following me. And the question is, which way is our life and example leading them? Are we leading them in obedience or disobedience with respect to our faith, to faith in Christ for themselves? Or are we leading them to scoffing, unbelief and eternal death? Well, the lot had fallen on Jonah and the sailors asked in verse 8, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon you. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? We might have expected them to ask, Why have you brought this, all this trouble upon us? It seems from, the confession, from their questioning that they wanted to hear it from their, his confession from his own mouth. Because they thought of gods as peculiar to different countries and places, they asked these questions, where do you come from, what is your country and of what people are you, so that they would know which God to pray to. One writer points out that they weren't concerned about Jonah or his relationship with his God, but for their own safety. And Jonah, in answering, begins to earn our respect because he doesn't try to cover his sin. In fact, he confesses both his sin and his God. Look at verses 9 and 10. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Strange, isn't it? Now, what are you doing on this boat? Well, I'm, I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord. What are you doing? Well, he told me to go to, he told me to, go to Nineveh and uh, I'm going to Tarshish instead. And, and now they're seeing the results of this, the storm. And they realise that Jonah's God was not to be mocked, not to be scoffed at. They appear to have realised before Jonah that he had sinned against a great God, a God who could hurl such a great storm, a great wind and such a great storm on the sea, a God who was creator. Now they were not only afraid of the storm, 
they were afraid of the Lord who had sent it. Jonah was guilty. He had sinned against the Lord who made the sea and the dry land. The Lord who had sent the storm to arrest him in his course of disobedience. And even while they were speaking, the sea was getting rougher and rougher and the, and the, and it seemed at any moment that the ship would sink. And they said to him, verse 11, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And they were not guilty, but they were in the ship, you see. And if the ship sank, then they, they would perish. And I think Jonah continues to earn our respect. His reply indicates his repentance and his acceptance of God's verdict on his rebellion that he was worthy of death. Verse 12, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And one of the writers I consulted in the course of preparing to preach on this text said that this was a drastic solution. And so it was. If we understand drastic, not in the sense of harsh, but as radical, as going to the root of the matter, for the wages of sin is death, and it's only death that calms the wrath of God against the sinner, against us on account of our sins. But until the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, of our wrongdoing, as against God, then we're like Jonah asleep in the belly of the ship. It's only when the Holy Spirit uses the law of God to convict us of our wrongdoing as against God that we know that we have sinned and that we know that we deserve to die. And then it's not that we want to die, it's rather we want a way of escape when God brings us to that conviction of sin, of righteousness and judgment, then we cry out, what must I do to be saved? We're more terrified at falling into the, into the hands of the living God than the sailors were of falling into the sea. Only death can satisfy the wrath of God against the sinner. Jonah knew this. Jonah knew that his rebellion against God was worthy of death. And in repentance, he asked that justice be done to him. He said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know that it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon me. Friends, this is where restoration to a right relationship with God begins, with a frank acknowledgement of our sin that I did what I knew was wrong, that I have broken God's law, that it is my sin that has put God against me, and that I deserve to die, not just the death of my body, but the death of my soul, eternal death. But if that conviction of sin is not to lead to despair, then we must also know and believe that God has already provided a death 
so that we need not die. The death that happened to the sinner's substitute, to Jesus, the Son of God, the death that calms the wrath of God against all who trust in him. And this is the way from death to life, from being under God's wrath to being at peace with God. It's the way from rebellion and backsliding and uselessness to renewed usefulness in the service of God. It's the way that God brought Jonah to make him useful in obedience to his will. Of course, not every storm in life is on account of some personal sin. Not all our troubles are directly connected with sin. It's not, when, when things go badly wrong, it's not always possible to say, ah, yes, uh, I did this and this follows. Remember, for example, the man who was born blind, uh, that, that the disciples and Jesus saw, and the, the disciples said to Jesus, who sinned? Uh, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. See, they were operating on the principle that there must be a, if, if there was a problem, there must be a sin behind it, a direct co- connection. And Jesus said, no, no, no. It wasn't that, he's, that he sinned or it wasn't that his parents sinned. It was so that the works of God might be manifest in him. It was so that he could be healed. So we need to remember that not every trouble is caused directly by sin. If you are an unbeliever this morning and uh, you're going through a big storm, then you can be pretty sure that God's trying to get your attention to awaken you to your danger, to awaken you to your need for repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ so that you would flee the storm and find peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are a believer and you are enduring some storm or other, then please consider the possibility that it may be because you've sinned. Examine your heart. Examine your thoughts. Examine your life, your words, your actions in the light of God's word. Seek his help in prayer. Ask him to enlighten you so that you might see yourself as he sees you. And if necessary, follow Jonah in renewed repentance and faith. Don't be afraid. God will forgive. But if after such examination you find no reason, no sin that might give rise to such a storm, no sin that could be the cause, then remember the man born blind and put your trust in God. Remember his promise to you and his purpose for you and for all who believe in his name. And the promise is in Romans 8. And the purpose is with it. And we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you as the just judge of all the earth, acknowledging that it is right and proper that the wages of sin should be death, giving you praise and thanks uh, for the death you have provided in our Lord Jesus Christ, that he who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we in him might be the right, become the righteousness of God. Pray that you would give us a sensitivity to sin, uh, grace to trust you in every circumstance and peace of heart in believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.